0: I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to
1: Winning Cures Everything.
2: Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man, a superb athlete,
1: Gary Seegers.
2: Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. I am, of course, your host, Gary Seegers. And this is the Winning Cures Everything show for Friday. June 2nd, we're live. We're uh, we're doing all the things. Uh, we're using a different platform. We're going to try a few different things. Uh, this is episode 31 from season 8. If you're keeping up with that kind of thing, if you would, do me a favor. Go ahead and subscribe to the show, of course, on YouTube. And if you would so kindly, uh, go ahead and make sure that you uh, like the video as well. That'll help out. You guys jump in the chat. Let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on here uh, because we got a lot to dive into. The show brought to you by BetUS each and every time out. It's America's favorite online sports book. Go and check them out, BetUS.com. There's a link in the description. So if you'll check that out, that would certainly certainly help me out. Uh, We have got, I mean, 13 different things that we got to hit on today. Some of them I might talk about a little bit longer than others. Uh, But we will go ahead and start in with this right here. The SEC decided to move To nothing. They're moving to eight games. They're going to stick on eight games. What does that mean? That means for the 2024 season only right now, they're going to stick with eight team schedules, eight conference games. Um, They're not going to set a fixed opponent per se right now. What they're going to do is they are going to schedule out the best games that they can for the first year that Texas and Oklahoma will be in the conference and then they're probably going to try and vote on it again. Now, if you look at what Brett McMurphy tweeted out, he said ESPN source told Action Network that they were not surprised SEC remained at eight league games in 2024. The only schools that supported nine-game SEC schedule were Florida, Georgia, LSU, Missouri, and Texas A&M. It said also OU and Texas wanted nine SEC games but did not have a vote. So we know that Alabama did not like the fact that their three fixed opponents were going to be... Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. On top of that, you see the tweet underneath. It says it's it's about money. When ESPN agrees to pay more, there will be nine games. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, The reason that you don't see South Carolina and Kentucky on there is because they already play Louisville and Clemson at the end of the season. They already have basically nine conference games. Those games are not going anywhere. Uh, You... You don't see Vanderbilt. Obviously, they want more non-conference games that they can get wins in. Clark Lee is trying to change the scheduling dynamic that they have over in Nashville. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons as to why, but another big one is the fact that some of these schools, and Georgia is included in that, even though they voted for nine games, uh, some of these schools have some big-time non-conference games coming up. Alabama, for example, has both Wisconsin and another P5 opponent coming up in the next couple of years. Uh, there are a lot of different reasons why the, the players in the conference, the big-time teams in the conference that have already gone out and tried to schedule up to help out their season ticket sales, uh, or at least to help the fans out. There's a reason why here, and it's not just about money from ESPN. It's about the money that you're going to use to um, the money that you're going to use to be able to buy out of contracts, right? So I'm not surprised that they stuck with a nine-game or an eight-game conference schedule. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, And I don't expect it to change unless they find a way to incentivize it, right? Currently, there is no incentive other than well, it would just be good for the fans, right? It, either way, you slice it. Some years you're only going to have four home games compared to five road games. That doesn't help you out, right? You're going to have to buy out of a lot of these non conference games in order to get the preferred number of home games. That doesn't help anybody either. So you're losing revenue, even though you just signed this big TV deal. You don't want to just throw that money away on having to buy out contracts and whatnot just because you your conference decided they want to play another game uh, additional to what they had already talked about for years and years or not talked about, but what they've already done for years and years. So yeah, uh, this is interesting. I don't think it's going to change after 2024. Uh, Kirby smart said it best. He said that he didn't care at all. Uh, he said the way that I look at it, yeah, we'll have one fixed opponent, but we're going to play all the other teams in the conference twice every four years anyway. So what does it really matter? And I think he's right. I, I kind of like the idea of the 1-7 split. I think, I think it works out well because you're going to play seven brand new teams every other year. I think that keeps it fresh. I think it makes those matchups between Alabama and Tennessee and whoever else that much more enjoyable whenever you do get to that point. Just my thoughts on it. Uh, But let me know what you think. Jump in the chat. I'm curious to see what you guys think about this. All right. Let's see. The early TV schedule for college football. It it is rounding into shape. Obviously, on Wednesday, there were uh, a lot of things that popped up. and So we'll go on and put it on your screen here so that you can get an idea. Uh, Week zero, we got an ESPN primetime game of UMass and New Mexico State. Now that's pretty awesome. ABC has got South Carolina State and Jackson State, so you got your HBCUs there. Uh, You know Navy and Notre Dame. That one's on NBC, 2:30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's going to be cool for Week Zero. Uh, I don't know where the Vanderbilt Hawaii game is going to be. That that one's going to be interesting. I don't know if it'll be you know SEC Network, SEC Network Plus, it's something, but it'll be on somewhere. But you get through, you see some of these interesting ones, right? We've already talked about this. Florida at Utah and Nebraska at Minnesota. Those are going head-to-head, ESPN and Fox. Uh, Then you got Friday night, uh, nothing super interesting. You know, Louisville, Georgia Tech is on Friday night. Uh, Stanford, Hawaii is a late one. And then as you move into Saturday for week one, you got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, ESPN has got UMass at Auburn. I mean, (laughs) what? This that lets you know exactly how weak the opening schedule is. When ESPN is showing UMass at Auburn, I mean it is ridiculous. Boise State at Washington is going to be on ABC in that afternoon window. Uh, big noon kickoff is uh, let's see Colorado at TCU. So of course you got the Dion effect. Everybody's been talking about that. That makes sense. The Dion effect. Everybody wants to see what prime time is going to do in Boulder, Colorado. But you keep moving along. You got Coastal Carolina at UCLA. That one's going to be a late one. Uh, You got CBS taking Northwestern and Rutgers for noon Eastern on Sunday. I mean, it's just, just ridiculous. Uh, But then you get into Week Two, et cetera, and you start seeing some more big noon kick again. It's going to be Colorado, but this time it's with the new Nebraska head coach Matt Rule. Uh, You got, you know. Uh, The battle for the corn, of course, Iowa Iowa State, 3.30. That's uh, El Asico, I believe, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. Uh, you got some other interesting games, right? The big one is Texas at Alabama. What I want to focus on here, though, is you get to week three, and you don't see it listed here because it's technically not a – see, they did put one on here. Uh, Central Michigan at Notre Dame is going to be exclusively on Peacock. The other one that's going to be exclusively on Peacock is Washington at Michigan State. Now, here's my issue, right? The night game on NBC, the primetime game, is Syracuse at Purdue. Yes, are they probably, or would they probably get, you know, smushed in the ratings by Tennessee at Florida? Maybe. I mean, you got a bunch of other, you know, big-time games going on in that late-night spot, in that, in that primetime spot. I understand maybe not wanting to compete with Pitt at West Virginia and Tennessee at Florida, but why on earth would you relegate Washington at Michigan State, which you've got a potential Heisman winner and you a know, Michigan State team that's looking to rebound. Why would you put that on Peacock? And the answer is, of course, that they are wanting to have as many people subscribe to Peacock as possible. So you're going to put some of the biggest matchups on there, and that's hurting the CFB viewers, at least right now. Obviously, everybody's going to have to eventually shift back over. But I, this is what we were worried about with these new contracts. The Pac-12 is going to have to look at this. Uh, only 3% of the Pac-12's games. I saw somebody tweeting about this earlier this week, and they were talking about how, oh, you know, the Big 12, they've got how over 50% of their games are streaming in the first three weeks. And the Pac-12s, it was over 70% that were on cable. The issue is that over 50% of those for the Pac-12 were on the Pac-12 network that nobody can get. That's the issue. So they're not widely available. Uh, when you look at Peacock, et cetera, yeah, Big Ten fans are going to have to eventually get on with Peacock and whatever the other streaming services may be, uh Paramount Plus and and whatever else. Uh Paramount hasn't done anything exclusive as of yet. I think CBS still wants their live viewers on their network channel. Uh NBC's a weird one. This is this is weird. I'm not sure exactly what their plan is with this, but uh but I know Michigan State fans have got to be fired up at this point. I know I would be. Like I, I'm I would be so irritated if I were a Spartan fan because NBC has taken your biggest non-conference game and tossed it onto a streamer so you can't flip around. You can't, you know, people aren't just going to stumble across the game if it's in a separate feed by itself, right? If something happens and you see it on a score update, then you might go try and find it. But if you don't already have Peacock, then you're not going to go get it just for that one thing, right? On top of that, they moved your Saturday... Home game against Penn State to a Friday night for a TV window, and they moved it over to Ford Field in Detroit. You're losing a home game, and I know that there's a lot of teams like Arkansas, for example, still have, has games in uh, Little Rock, right? But it's that's not something the Michigan State typically does. So we're we're gonna see what ends up happening, but man. That's uh, I would be very frustrated, very frustrated if I were them. All right, let's talk about it. Big 12 expansion, and we'll pull it up on the screen so you can see tweet from Matt o- or Max Olson over at The Athletic. He, uh, he said, here's what Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark said on expansion today after the league spring meetings. Uh, we did, or excuse me. We did discuss expansion, had a great discussion about expansion, in fact. We have a plan. As I've said all along, we have an appetite to be a national conference and our makeup from coast to coast, and we do believe in the upside of basketball moving forward as a collective group. That being said, we love our current composition, love the four new schools and are, are, that are coming in next month. However, if the opportunity presents itself to create value, we will pursue it. Now, Aaron Torres. This is what his tweet said a couple of days ago. Can tell you that what Jason Shear heard is in line with what I've heard as well. And so, Jason Shear, of course, Wildcat authority at 247, he covers Arizona. He said the most smoke surrounding the Big 12 as of right now is Yukon and Colorado. Doesn't mean Arizona is not involved or anything is imminent, just that those two schools are getting the most run internally. So, Aaron Torres said Colorado and Yukon are the Big 12's priority at this moment. Sounds like a strange pair, but there's a plan in place that will make sense if, when it comes together. So then today, just a a few hours ago, Aaron Torres over at Fox Sports said, told you when the plan came out, it would make sense. Create the best basketball league possible. So if the SEC and Big Ten try to break off, they can't host a national hoops uh, tournament without you. He said, my guess on Big 12 targets, Colorado because of Dion, UConn, Arizona, plus Gonzaga or San Diego State. Okay. Memphis is also in there as a backup. If if Gonzaga doesn't end up happening, or if, you know, the Big 12 pulls Colorado, and then the Pac-12 backfills with San Diego State, uh, there are ways that the University of Memphis could end up being a part of this. Obviously, basketball being a priority. uh, Not a lot of bigger names out there than Penny Hardaway. But it is interesting, right? This, this thought process that Aaron Torres is going through, uh, I kind of like this idea, right? It's a basketball conference. If and when the SEC and Big Ten try to break away from the NCAA, you can't have a legitimate national championship tournament without including the brands that are in the Big 12, especially if you were to bring in Arizona, UConn, Etc. Right. I mean, you're looking at some major, major national brands, and then we'll we'll talk about this. Uh, Stuart Mandel tweeted this out the other day. It's a we're not gonna we're not gonna put the map on the screen, but if you look at the map, Colorado does make a whole lot of sense, right? As a traveling partner for BYU, uh, they're right there. Memphis makes a whole lot of sense as far as regionality is concerned. I still don't know what to make of this Colorado thing. I don't believe that they are going to make a decision until they get whatever this TV deal is from the Pac-12. Just a guess. Uh, There's not a lot to it right now. There's just nothing there. Uh, So why wouldn't they be talking to the Big 12? And obviously, if you want to stay on with the most visibility possible, we've talked about this a lot, then you're going to want to go to the Big 12 because you're going to be on ESPN and Fox. Some of your games are going to be on streaming, but your biggest games will be on big national platforms where the majority of people can see them. If you're Deion Sanders, you probably want that. There's been a lot of talk about Deion wanting to go back to the Big 12 so that he can get into recruiting in Texas a little bit easier. Right? He wants to be able to recruit nationally. That helps. Like, being over in the Pac-12 doesn't necessarily do anything for anybody. Uh, But, yeah, I, I think the UConn thing... Makes sense for the Big 12. I don't know that it makes sense for UConn unless UConn knows something about the idea of which a lot of people have talked about this Greg Sankey uh, and some of those others the potential of either making the NCAA tournament even bigger or taking the biggest brands and moving it over somewhere else to where you only get, you know, a handful of teams into this big tournament every year. No more Cinderella. Like everybody's a brand. It doesn't matter. So that's going to be interesting going forward. Uh, let's go on and change up topics. Like I said, we got a lot to discuss and I'm going to roll through some of these. We got new AAU schools, six of them to be exact. If you look at your screen, the Association of American Universities announced that Arizona State University, George Washington University, the University of California Riverside, so UC Riverside, the University of Miami, that is the Florida version, the University of Notre Dame, and the University of South Florida have joined the association. Says the addition of these six leading research in, uh, universities brings AAU's membership uh, to 71 institutions, 69 American, and two Canadian universities. Now, I know that you are wondering, Gary, why do we give a crap about what schools are the best academic schools in the country? Your college football show, what are we talking about? Realignment in college football does have some ties with academia. The better academics your school has to go along with, you know, decent performance on the football field, the better chance you have of moving up into a bigger conference, right? South Florida, now an AAU member, if they can ever get things right on the football side, they will find a way up eventually. But that's not really what we're here for, right? You heard two names there, Miami, Florida, and Notre Dame. I think that Notre Dame is closer to possibly joining the Big Ten than most people would think. Just my opinion. And you guys toss your thoughts in the comments or in the chat. I want to know what you think. Uh, I believe that Notre uh, Notre Dame does not have a medical research school. It's odd that their school, even though they are a great university, great academics at Notre Dame. we talked about that. When Brian Kelly left, that was a big thing. He couldn't get in some of the players that he needed to, couldn't recruit some of them. You get it. But when I look at it, I don't think that they're going to get what they want from NBC. They want a lot of money, a lot of money. I don't think they're going to be able to get that money. So I believe that Notre Dame is going to probably within the next year, end up joining the Big Ten. That AAU thing makes it a huge deal. I think Miami might be their partner to come over if anything breaks down with the ACC. So that's just something to keep, you know, on the back burner, just something to pay attention to because those Big Ten schools, if you look here, we're going to pull it back up on the on the stream here. But if you look at the schools, there's a lot of Big Ten schools in here, right? UCLA. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, let's see, Illinois, Maryland, Iowa, Michigan State, Michigan, Minnesota, Northwestern. You see where I'm going with this, right? Wisconsin, you know, it's Purdue. Like, you have got a lot of fantastic universities. Rutgers is in there. So, Maryland and Rutgers both being there uh, might have given you a little bit of an idea as to what was going on during the last round of realignment. These presidents like to align themselves with other really good schools. It helps bring in more money. Just tossing it out there. Just tossing it out there. All right. Uh, Let me go on and tell you about BetUS. BetUS, it's America's favorite online sports book for. That's right, we're getting ready to celebrate 30 years as an online sports book. They are the best. I I swear by them. They've treated me well for many, many years. Uh, I would highly recommend that you go over to betustv.com slash join, or you can click the link in the description. Uh, that link in the description is going to give you $50 uh, to play with without a deposit required. All you got to do is get signed up over at BetUS. Uh, but if you see on your screen here, the US College Football Show is coming back, and I don't know if you see it up there, but right there. Uh, y'all can't see that. Okay, it's coming in June. We will be there in June. June 21st, as a matter of fact. I don't know if I'm supposed to put that out there, but I am right here. We will be back on June 21st uh, going over early games, week one, week two, week three, stuff like that. Lines that are already out at some of these sports books, uh, but especially lines that are already up over at BetUS. We're going to talk about a lot of these games. So make sure that you are subscribed to the BetUS College Football Show on YouTube. There is a link in the description for you to check that out. Uh, But go get signed up. BetUS TV. BetUS. Where the game begins. All right. Now this one is one that I am going to have to read through as well because I'm still trying to figure it out. Okay. The Holiday Bowl is suing the Pac-12 and the UC Board of Regents or the UC Regents, whatever, UCLA, because UCLA pulled out of the Holiday Bowl during or after the 2021 college football season. And they, it was because of COVID and they didn't have enough position players at certain points and whatever else, right? Uh, by the way, go ahead and like the video for me if you could so kindly. Uh, we would certainly appreciate that. But let's, let's pull this thing up on your screen so we can take a look at it. This is over at on3.com. Uh, it's by Eric Prisbell, and he is the question that is the headline here is, why is the Holiday Bowl suing Pac-12 UC Regents for $3 million in damages? So you go through and you see the lawsuit was filed on Tuesday evening against the Pac-12 and the Regents of the University of California, which governs UCLA, and it seeks more than $3 million in damages stemming from the Bruins pulling out of the day of the game are pulling out the day of the game. Uh, They were supposed to play NC State. A couple of hours before that game happened, they decided they were not going to play. So it says, uh, even though the relationship between the Holiday Bowl and the Pac-12 dates to the late 1990s, the two parties failed to resolve the situation over the past 17 plus months. Uh, It says that the Pac-12 tried to resolve the situation through mediation. But you keep scrolling through this, and it's it's interesting. The Holiday Bowl says that the last minute cancellation, uh, like it it's it ended up with seven point eight million dollars in revenue lost, or or more than that. And the way that that breaks down is, uh, SDBGA had to forfeit ticket revenue of more than three point six million dollars, a loss of one point four million dollars in revenue from title sponsorship, San Diego County Credit Union. And more than $2.8 million that had to be returned or forfeited from additional ticket, media rights, partner, and sponsor-related revenue, the complaint claims. It also said it incurred substantial expenditures from preparing for the game, including cost to secure and transform Petco Park into a football stadium, which went unreimbursed. Now, the Pac-12 said that they were trying to find a, a, you know amicable and fair resolution. And they're saying that, hey, there was nothing we could do about this. And that in the contract, it has, you know, a thing that would work for that. Now, what I did not know is this, the holiday bowl has not paid the PAC 12, the $2.45 million it owes for Oregon's participation in the 2022 holiday bowl. Uh, SDBGA said that the $2.45 million would be applied toward damages for the cancellation of the 2021 bowl game. So the PAC 12 is just going through it right now. Like they've, they already got a, uh, a distribution partner that, you know, overpaid in Comcast. So they're having to pay them back. That's coming out of their stuff. They're not getting paid this money from their bowl appearance last year because that, that $2.45 million doesn't just go to Oregon. It goes to the conference to then be distributed out to all of the other members. So there are some people that are just dealing with it right now. Um, it says that the amount would be applied against the more than 3 million in damages owed, uh, for the breach of contract and failure to indemnify, uh, SDBGA due to UCLA's refusal to play in the 2021 holiday bowl game. Uh, it said this offset was fair, just and equitable, but has not fully compensated them for their losses. The unpaid balance of which continues to accrue prejudgment interest. Now it says that the contract language was a point of contention. Now, this is a great article, by the way, over at ON3. I highly recommend that you go and check it out. Uh, It says that the central point of contention is the application of the force majeure provision in the most recent contract. Uh, Basically, it was an act of God, right? There was nothing that could have been done. UCLA had so many COVID cases that they couldn't have played. In my opinion... I think you just roll out there and play with whatever you got. I don't think you have to have a certain number of defensive linemen. I think you can line some of those guys up on the line of scrimmage between the hashes and you can find a way to make it. Yeah, go out and play 7 on 7, go out and do whatever. You can find ways to play. Like it, you don't it, it didn't matter how many players you've got. Just go out and try something. It really doesn't matter. You don't need a certain number of offensive linemen, defensive linemen, whatever. Because if you're a problem solver, it shouldn't matter. You should be able to come up with anything. So uh, the SDBGA said it's informed the PAC-12 that it disputes the uh, applicability of the provision. The clause that the complaint said said, could have been negotiated in 2019 to, quote, included uh, pandemic impacts and considerations, but was not. As other courts around the country consistently have found, Force majeure clauses are interpreted narrowly according to their words, such that the Pac-12 is not relieved of its contractual obligations under the express language of the 2019 contract. There was a, was it the 2020 season? I guess it was when Boise State and Boston College were supposed to play in some bowl game down in Texas. Maybe the Heart of Dallas Bowl or something like that. But they were supposed to play, and it was weather. Insurance paid out on weather. You can't get an insurance payout on this. UCLA still had enough players to play. They just decided that they weren't going to. So in this situation, the Pac-12 and the UC Regents are probably going to owe that money. I feel like this was really crappy for UCLA to leave the Pac-12 with this uh, and then decide to go to, you know, the Big Ten. I just, I, it, I hate it, um, but I, the way that the contract is written, I don't know that there's a way that they can get out of this thing. Pac-12 just dealing with it, man. Just dealing with it. All right. Moving along. More from the Big 12 meetings that were being held over in West Virginia. We're going to talk finances. We are going to talk uh, rebranding, all kinds of different things. Let's go on and pull up on the screen here. Dennis Dodd reports the Big 12 will distribute $440 million in revenue that averages out to $44 million per school. And he said, I believe that that's the all-in number, Tournament Revenue Bowls CFP. Uh, when the new contract kicks in, Big 12 80s believe that all-in number will approach million I could definitely see that because you're going to be getting you're still the best basketball conference in the country you're bringing in Houston to replace Texas Uh, Cincinnati's still you know they're they're building their way back up Uh, you know we'll see what UCF does we'll see what BYU does as far as basketball is concerned so you're going to still get a lot of NCAA tournament credits right units aside from that you will also have, uh, I don't know how many CFPs you're going to make, but once we move into the 12-team format, they're expecting a lot of money out of this next CFP deal, right? You're still going to get a bunch of bowl games. You've got you got more teams now than you did, so you could theoretically make more bowl games. I could see this number getting to $50 million. I could absolutely see that happening with what they've got set up right here. Now, do I imagine that you're going to see way, way higher revenue distributions from, you know, the SEC and the big 10? Absolutely. Absolutely. But this is not bad. And uh, we'll move along. Max Olson. Of course, we talked about him earlier over at the athletic. He said, Brett, your mark on big 12 branding next year, you'll see a brand new refresh, which we're very excited about. And he said, it's a refresh. It's not a logo change. And it's certainly not a name change. Now, I don't know why you would refresh your brand unless you're thinking about bringing in even more. Like it, if you're talking about doing it next year, why would you not do it this year when you brought in four new members? Right? That seems like it would make a little more sense to me. So all the big 12 expansion stuff that we talked about earlier, that would that would make sense to me. Just saying. Uh, It said Texas Tech President uh, Lawrence Skavnik. Man, I don't know how to say that. I hope I said it right. Probably not, but you guys can correct me. Uh, He said, on Big 12 spring meetings, the board and ADs are all very much aligned with the prospects that we have in the future. Okay, brand refresh. Let's move towards more basketball, I guess. I guess that's what we're looking at. We'll see. Who knows? Regardless. (laughs) <laughs> uh like the video and subscribe to the channel for me if you would again so kindly. Uh we certainly appreciate all of you for being here today. We got a few more things that we're going to hit on uh, pretty quickly and then we'll then we'll get out of here for the weekend. Let's talk about this. LSU football got brand new air conditioned helmets and we're not going to podcast but makai wingo is talking about how good it feels etc uh i mean these guys like this is awesome it's from tiger air e or whatever on tiktok but they are really liking these helmets and you can't see how it works but you you do hear in the video the uh the coach whoever it may be was talking about the fact that the helmets are air conditioned for up to five hours like that's that's long enough for a game you go out you get your workouts in you don't start your ac until you get into the game and then you got plenty of time right if it's a three and a half hour game that's more than enough time just saying i think this is a good idea what kind of an impact does this have like does every Does every uh, SEC team have this? Does every FBS team have this? I doubt it. But I am interested because it seems like a little bit of an advantage, especially when you're playing down in Louisiana, right? Like, it's already hard enough to play down in Death Valley, but now those guys have air-conditioned helmets? I mean, it's going to cool the rest of the body down big time. Big time. So I, I like this. Brian Kelly and that bunch. They uh, they are very innovative down in Baton Rouge. So Chris Giannini's Tigers coming up with some new fresh stuff. And if anybody else has these, let me know, because I would love to know. I mean, that might be something I could use as a gambling advantage going forward. I mean, we'll see. but, But that's something to pay attention to. Might help out LSU when they go to Orlando that first weekend in September. Just tossing it out there. All right, let's talk about College football playoff odds have been released over at a sports book that shall remain nameless. I am going to toss them up on the screen, though. Uh, college football playoff berth odds. And I don't think you're going to see a ton of surprises here. This is just to make the four-team field. Georgia minus 250. You look at their schedule. That schedule is a joke. They should absolutely get to the playoff with that schedule. Uh, Ohio State minus 125. Now, going back to Georgia, the one thing that might hurt them is even if they do go undefeated, are they in an ACC situation like Clemson has been where if you lose one game, you're out. Like, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the way. You've only got one test on the whole schedule, and that'll be the SEC championship game. So, we'll see. We'll see what they end up doing there. But Georgia is minus 250. Ohio State is minus 125. So, even though they still have a quarterback competition going on, which Kirk Herbstreet said – Uh, could go through the first two, three games. It could be Kyle McCord. It could be Devin Brown. We'll see. Uh, I think everybody just kind of assumed that McCord was going to be the dude, but hey, you never know. Uh, Michigan plus 105. Obviously, a lot of people high on the Wolverines this year. Alabama plus 135. Okay, Uh, the usual suspects here. Caleb Williams coming back to USC. They are plus 260. Florida State is plus 280, along with LSU at plus 280. Penn State. Also plus 280. Clemson plus 320, along with Texas, the same odds. Notre Dame plus 450. Oregon plus 500. Washington plus 600. Oklahoma plus 650. Tennessee plus 700. Utah at plus 900. Texas AM is at 14 to 1. North Carolina, 22 to 1. And Tulane at 30 to 1. Now, Tulane, you'd have to go undefeated through the AAC. You got to beat Ole Miss. I mean, you just, you got to, you, there's a lot there, obviously. Uh, North Carolina, like there's a lot of a lot of Drake may hype. But don't forget who their OC is. It's it's Chip Lindsey or Chip Lindsay, excuse me, former Troy head coach, former Gus Malzahn offensive coordinator. Um, I mean, Drake may may be really good, and it may not matter. But who y'all know my feelings on on old Chip. So uh, nothing really stands out here. Penn State having better odds than Clemson, that was kind of surprising uh, because their road is a little more difficult. But, yeah, we shall see. Clemson, along with Garrett Riley, new offense coordinator, Texas, I think might be your money here at plus 320 because that team looks absolutely freaking loaded. Absolutely loaded. Uh, What else have we got on the docket? Oh, very important thing that we need to hit on. Very important. California bill 252. Let's go on and pull it up on the screen because this is important. John Wilner tweeted out California bill 252 which creates a revenue sharing arrangement between athletic departments and players has passed the assembly. But it was a struggle at 41 to 15. So this thing now moves on to the Senate. Now it is not expected to pass in the Senate. Tony Altimore, uh, who constantly hops on with Mark Rogers, et cetera, if you guys watch uh, their channel, uh, fantastic channel, by the way, highly suggested. But he said, this is the biggest issue in sports, and for some puzzling reason, it feels like John is the only one warning us about it. I don't necessarily know that that's true. Wilner has talked about it. There's been several people that have been talking about this. Uh, why it's not a bigger story right now, I guess because there's all these Spring meetings going on. I guess that's why we haven't seen more. But uh, Tony says if it goes into law, college sports will flip upside down. And he is not wrong. This is nightmare fuel for athletic departments. Like for conferences as well. Like this is, this is rough. I don't know what they're going to do if this ends up being passed. Now, it's only in California right now. But that money that comes in from, uh, you know, the Big Ten over to USC and over to, uh, now I wonder, I haven't read all the stuff about it. I do wonder whether or not it's going to impact private schools or if it's only going to be with schools that get state funding, right? Like this could be really It could be really, really good for USC. It could be eh, not so great for UCLA along with Cal and Stanford, etc., uh, those programs, if they pass this, Cal and Stanford might just move down a division. They might stop playing football. I think that they want to play football. I think they want to be good. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little shocked. I'm a little bit shocked at this. So um, something to keep on your radar. California Bill 252, it's moved on to the Senate. Seriously revenue sharing arrangements between schools and athletic or student athletes, I can't talk today. You guys have got to forgive me. But yeah, that's, that's a massive deal because if one state does it, you're going to see other states start to do it. If it becomes a federal thing, this is not just student athletes becoming employees. This is, you're having to share the revenue. It's going to shut down a ton of sports, a ton of sports. Because I don't know how you can share revenue with that many. I just don't, I, I don't know how it would work. Maybe you guys do. Toss it in the chat. Toss it in the comments. I would love to hear your opinions on it. Let's talk about LSU again. Right quick. Da, da, da. There we go. All right. This from WBRZ down in Baton Rouge. LSU ends... Their Caesars packed amid criticism of the school's marketing practices. Now, the story says LSU is ending its controversial seven-figure agreement allowing Caesars Entertainment to advertise sports betting across its main campus, according to officials at LSU and a sports marketing company involved in the deal. Uh, Playfly Sports is who, you know, helped arrange it. Uh, It was supposed to last several more years. It was just struck in 2021. There's been a lot that's going on. We've talked about this on the show a couple of times. Uh, There was a bill introduced in Louisiana legislature in March that would prohibit colleges and universities uh, in that state from creating advertising agreements with gaming entities. It says the bill by Senator Gary Smith of Norco, uh, it passed the House on Tuesday. So we're not quite to the point where it's law yet, but it's, it's getting there. And then there's another factor uh, that was the American Gaming Association, which if, I, I'm sure that a lot of you that watch the show are gamblers. The AGA is big. We'll just say that. Uh, they updated their responsible marketing code in March to prohibit gaming companies from having partnerships with universities to promote sports betting. So Michigan State and Maryland both uh, have said that they're going to end similar agreements, uh, you know, advertising for some of these. It, you know Cody Warsham uh, LSU Athletics chief brand officer he confirmed Thursday that cancellation of the deal was being finalized uh, you're going to see more of this the fact that you know they have it at so many of these you know these college things whether it be games or whatever else uh, you're finding more and more studies that are coming out that are showing that it is much easier for these companies to hook in you know, college age students. As soon as they hit 21, uh, you can get them addicted to gambling on these games. Now, if you're a little bit older, you might have a little more self-control. Maybe, I guess. <laughs> like I, I enjoy gambling, but I also know how to do it responsibly. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of young people that really understand how to do it responsibly. And it's something that there needs to be more education on and and more readily available, really. And that's a big thing that the AGA is saying. Uh, They also took out words like, you know, free and whatever all these bonuses where people don't really understand what they're getting themselves into, right? The fine print on some of these uh, bonuses and deposit bonuses and whatever else like, Hey, deposit $10 and we'll give you, you know, a hundred thousand to play with or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, you have to bet and win a certain amount of money before you can ever get that back out, so your 10 bucks is just gone. There's a lot that you got to read into on this stuff and yeah, sometimes advertising to uh, some of those that may not be fully educated on it. Eh. Now don't get me wrong, it is a free society. You can advertise to whoever you want to. They got to make their own choices. But when it comes to college campuses, I do think it is the colleges job to do what's in the best interest of their students. I don't know that advertising gambling companies uh, is in the best interest of those schools. Just a thought. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about today and uh, write the time down. We've been going for 46 minutes already. Boy, the opening of the show was a disaster, wasn't it? Whew. Well, we'll, we'll get used to this new platform. We'll, we'll figure it out. Eventually. All right. Putting it up on the screen. The SEC announces new field storming policies and penalties. As you all know, while they were doing the SEC spring meetings down in Destin, Florida, there was some talk here and there uh, about, you know, different ideas on this. Like potentially, you know, if you storm the field, you lose a home game. I mean, there's all kind of different crazy things that they were trying to come up with. They finally decided on something. So they announced their new field storming policies. And the offenses are $100,000 for the first, $250,000 for the second field storming, and $500,000 for the third field or court storming. Currently, all SEC schools are resetting to no offenses moving forward. So let's read through the actual you know, full stipulations here. Each member institution must provide security and uniform law enforcement presence around each team and game officials before, during, and after the event to prevent contact with spectators. The statement read in part. It said the area where teams and officials are dropped off in their path to or from team areas must be secured and not accessible to the general public. In the event of a field or court rush, Use of uniformed law enforcement personnel and equipment, such as ropes, barricade, expandable tunnels, etc., to secure a clear path off the playing surface for the visiting team, including their personnel, for example, equipment managers, is required. It said if a field or court rush ensues, the visiting team shall forego the post game handshake line and immediately move inside the barricade to their locker room as soon as possible. So. You know, each institution is resetting to the beginning of a fresh penalty cycle, um, and then it resets uh, every, you know, if there's four consecutive years without a, a violation. Uh, it says the commissioner may also impose additional penalties as he or she deems appropriate. So this is interesting. Oh, I, I forgot one thing here. Uh let's see, oh, with the fine situation. So if you get up to $100,000, $250,000, or $500,000 fine, it says with the fine situation, the institutional fine is paid directly to the opposing institution per the statement. So this is not just going back to the SEC's pockets, right? You're not paying the SEC for storming the field. Last year, Tennessee storms the field against Alabama they got to write Alabama a check for five hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand, whatever it is. That same thing happens if they beat Georgia this year. They storm the field. Tennessee then has to write a check to Georgia. I feel like that's going to sting a little bit more. You don't want to give them even more money to go and try and beat you with. So you got to make sure that you uh, that you get, follow all of these rules that they were talking about, right? Uh, the rope barricade, expandable tunnels, all that kind of stuff. Make it where the visiting team can get out of there so you don't have issues like you had last year, such as Jermaine Burton, uh, we will say, making contact with a young Tennessee fan while he's trying to get out of the stadium. Tossing that out there. All right, I think that's going to do it for today. It's time for me to get home hope all of you have had wonderful, wonderful weeks thus far. Welcome to June. We're starting up college football previews next week. Of course, June 21st, first show of the BetUS College Football Show. Make sure that you are subscribed over there as well. Hit me up on Twitter. If you want me to talk about anything on the show, I'm at GaryWCE, or you can email me, Gary, at winningcureseverything.com. You guys are filling up my inbox, so I do appreciate that. Enjoy hearing from all of you. Leave comments. I want to know what you think about and today's show, but about the topics that we've been discussing. Uh, I would love to know all of that. Uh, go to US, Click on the link that's down in the description. I think that's about it. Like the video. Subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get to 10,000. I think we'll be there pretty soon. We're almost to 8,500. So, with that said, let's dive out of here. You guys take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Uh, God bless college football. And, of course, we hope all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. If you want to toss in a question, you can email me, Gary, at winningcureseverything.com. Make sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.
1: The new Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com.